I'm Megan Cole, and this is Writing the Coast, the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. This is where you can come to hear conversations with the authors and illustrators whose books make up the annual shortlist. And this is the second to last conversation with one of last year's authors and illustrators. In this case, it is with an illustrator and author, which is kind of fun and exciting. But after our next podcast, uh, we will be moving on to the next batch of authors and illustrators. I don't even know who they are yet. Um, So I'm kind of on the edge of my seat waiting to see who I will get to chat with in the coming year. Let's not focus on the future. Let's focus on this episode, which is a conversation with Kale Atkinson. Kale's book, Sir Simon's Super Scarer, was nominated for the Christy Harris Illustrated Children's Literature Prize. So this book that Kale illustrated and wrote showcases a wonderful, spooky, and quirky character whose name is Sir Simon Spookington. And he comes into contact with uh, a nemesis, perhaps, maybe a new friend. But I am not going to go too much further into this wonderful story because this episode starts off with Kale reading straight from Sir Simon, Super Scarer. Have you ever seen a ghost? Okay, I don't want to freak you out or anything, but boo. It's okay to be scared. Scaring is what I do. I'm a professional, you guys. Check out my business card. Sir Simon, super scarer. Ghostess with the mostess. I've haunted and scared all sorts of things. I haunted a forest once. Boo. Boo. A boo. Do you know how hard it is to scare a bear? Boo. It's hard. I've haunted a boat. Boo. And a bus stop. Boo. I've haunted things I bet you didn't even know could be haunted. Boo? The good news is I'm finally being transferred to a house. My first haunted house. The bad news is a haunted house calls for more ghost chores. Oh, you don't know what ghost chores are? Well, let me tell you. They're the worst. Have you ever woken up late at night to stairs creaking? See a light flicker? Or maybe hear a door slam? Well, those things aren't happening by themselves. Us ghosts have a strict schedule for chores. 1.15 a.m. Stomping in the attic. 1.55 a.m. Flushing toilets. 2.10 a.m. Hiding and moving things around. And 3 a.m., standing in the window wearing old-timey clothes. Once I finish my chores, I can get back to doing what I want to do. You don't think I just float around saying boo all the time, do you? Boring. I have a life outside of being a ghost, you know. Well, afterlife. I'm into a bunch of things. Cross-stitching, painting, learning French. Bonjour, je suis Simon L'Enfantum. I'm even writing a thrilling novel. Anyway, here's the best part about this gig. Rumor has it that grandparents are moving into my house. In the pyramid of haunting, old people are tops. Oh, look, here they are. Yes, that's one cookie-baking grandma if I've ever seen one. I need to get a closer look. 
The great thing about grandparents is that they don't usually see us ghosts. We can totally slack off. Isn't that right, Grandpa? A kid? A ghost? Wow, a real ghost. I'm Chester. I just moved here with my grandma. I knew ghosts were real. My grandma said it was all my imagination. It must be so fun to float around scaring cats and monsters. Do you sleep in a coffin? Can you fly through walls? Do you eat ghost food? Hey, ghost, can I be a ghost with you? Okay, first of all, don't call me ghost. It's Simon or Sir Simon Spookington. Secondly, Cheddar, it's Chester. I don't have time to play ghost with you. I've got a ton of chores to get done, and no one else is going to do them for... Wait a minute. Chester, I think you'd make a top-notch ghost. Really? Yeah, I can tell these things. I have special ghost senses. Come on, let's get you set up. Is this your ghost space? Don't touch anything. Whoa, neat pictures. Hey, put that down. Do you do spooky cross-stitch? You're tangling the threads. I can't hide these feelings any longer, Dr. Darrington. That's a work in progress. Listen, the first part of being a ghost is you need to look like a ghost. Scary? Mm, no. Scarier? Well, sorta. Ugh, that's too scary. Simon? Okay. Spooky? Super spooky. All right, Ghost Chester. Here's your fun activity schedule. Oh, man, so much good stuff there. You're so lucky. Wish I could do all this. Simon, you genius. All night to do what you want and no ghost chores. First chore, I mean activity, is spooky animal sounds. A ghost classic. You need to let out your scariest of animal sounds into the vent. No time like the present. Chop, chop. Bye. All right. Time to get busy writing. Chapter 7. Dr. Darrington narrowly avoids the laser death ray. Mo. He lunges out of the way. Mo. Just in time before. Mo. What are you doing? Spooky animal sounds. Since when is a cow spooky? Spooky and cow do not go together. No ghost cows. Gotcha. Oink, oink, oink. Oh, geez. It's not dancing in the attic. It's stomping. Hey, occupied. I said flush the toilets. Don't use them. All right. How about uh, maybe we stop there, you think? <laughs> sure. We've got to leave some suspense. Keep people some wanting suspense. more. <laughs> Exactly. Some of these get a little tricky without the illustrations as well. So I figure, yeah. okay. I was going to actually ask about this style because it really reminds me of, you know, graphic novels and comic books. Do those influence your work quite a bit? Uh, yeah, they definitely can. I think there's just so much um, ability for more storytelling in some of those formats. And, uh, and sometimes with a, a standard picture book, it's really hard to figure out how can I, how can I fit as much as I want and, and what's too much for a picture book as well, but, but almost trying to find a little in-between. And, and Simon was almost my test of, of how much can I fit in here, and hopefully it's not too much for an actual picture book audience. But I do really love how much you can tell for, for doing um, different types of storytelling and reactions and, and just kind of some of those um, gags and things that are a lot harder when it's just spread to spread. Mm -hmm. 
Were you a comic book reader as a kid yourself? I was. I, I was kind of, um, uh, growing up, I have uh, an older brother who's three years older than me, so I was always kind of, you know, copying anything he did. And uh, so I started out with more superhero comics like Spider-Man and Batman and, and that type of thing. And then uh, when I started reaching kind of an, a little bit more of an independent age where I started kind of thinking for myself of what I liked a bit more, uh, I really got into some more of the comedic comics and magazines from uh, Mad Magazine, which had an artist that I really loved uh, named Sergio Sergio Aragons. Aragons? I'm going to kind of slaughter his last name. <laughs> But he was an amazing influence on me, and he did a comic called Gru the Wanderer. That was a, a funny comic about this kind of uh, wandering, uh, uh, silly guy who who kind of jumps into battles and does all sorts of stuff, all sorts of stuff in medieval times. But he something with the comics where it was the first time I saw you could do kind of funny comics and not just superheroes, and so I, that had a big influence on me as far as lots of comic strips. I I really loved comic strips from from Garfield growing up to then the far side to, to again, kind of seeing different ways you could tell stories and, and with the different limitations. So where did Sir Simon come from? Where did the idea for the book originate? Uh, so with Sir Simon, I kind of always wanted to tell a ghost story of some kind. I always just really loved a lot of the kind of myths of ghosts and a lot of the tropes of ghosts. And to me, they always seemed really kind of funny and in some ways really kind of just boring when you really thought about it because the kind of basic trope of a ghost is they're up in your attic or they're you know in a basement or they're somewhere hanging around all the time and they're doing really kind of uh, kind of simple boring things all day like they're you know stomping on steps or they're in an attic or they're um slamming doors or making lights flicker i always felt like well if, as a ghost if if you did kind of pass away or something happened and now you're just standing around flickering lights all night it always seemed kind of half funny, half kind of boring. And, and I don't know, I wanted to figure out a way I could tell a story with that kind of perspective of being kind of boring to be an actual ghost. Yeah. And, and I never knew if, if a picture book would be kind of right for it. Uh, and so then when I actually started um, pitching Sir Simon a bit, I wasn't sure if it was going to work and, until I kind of found uh, sending it to my editor at Tundra and she kind of fully jumped on board and had the exact same mindset as me. And, and so it was really kind of like two minds coming coming together to make it work as a picture book. But yeah, I, I just, I, I still really love a lot of the the kind of myths and the stories behind ghost stories. And and I wanted to figure out a way to kind of put my own spin on it. What I, I'm an adult with, I don't have children myself, but I love children's books. Um, when I work at the library, I love flipping through them. And I love that there's, there's an element of a good picture book that's as much for the kid as there is for the adults who's probably reading it to their kid. Do you think about that when you're when you're approaching a picture book? I do a little bit. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I like I don't have children either, and and I have to admit I mostly kind of write the books for myself more than anything. I, just because if I tried to write specifically for kids, I think I'd either. I don't want to be writing down to what I think they would like. And I, I would find it really hard. So at the end of the day, I kind of just have to write for myself and what I kind of like and, and kind of hope it almost grabs a bit of both audiences. Like I do have to think about what kind of words I'm using and make sure, of course, the stories will work for kids. But at the end of the day, I'm still just kind of thinking about what I really like. And so I think that's where I kind of maybe get some of the other elements that hopefully work for adults too. 
whether it's little details I sneak in the books or just kind of the humor of the book and hoping it can kind of um, play off both both kind of audiences. Do you find it, because, um, you know, Sir Simon has a message and then I was reading along, I was reading uh, Where Oliver Fits this morning as well. And there's this moral to the story, so to speak. Um, mm. How do you approach that kind of moral in a, in a book? It's something that's really tricky. Um, I think I think it's great with picture books because there it's a lot. I find like audiences or people in general, or readers, they're a lot more open to having like really great themes or morals or or messages in the book. But it's a real fine line of how do I put that theme or lesson or whatever it is in a book that's not so heavy-handed that you're hammering someone over the head with it. But at the same time, it does have to get through to kids. So if I'm trying to hide it so subtly because I don't want adults to complain that I'm trying to just force a message down down some kid, I, I find that a really hard thing to, to see like what's too much and what's too little. So even with these the two books you mentioned with Oliver, it's definitely much more of a, a heavy message or mm-hmm. a, a very out there message. It's pretty easy to see where Simon, I feel like is probably a little subtler. It's not so much a book about a, a big message, um, but I, I definitely struggle with that in the writing and and sometimes it, it becomes working with the editor to to really get their help because as you're writing, you get so lost in your own kind of bubble where you you don't know and and you think maybe you're being really subtle and then your editor's like, okay, you gotta you gotta tone this down. And so uh, I think it's just something you do a lot of back and forth and and maybe depends on the story and how much is the theme or message a big part of it or how much is it something that's kind of I don't know more of a, a side part to the story. It's it is. It's yeah. It's really tricky though. It's a good question because mm-hmm. it's something I'm always thinking about and trying to figure out. Did I get it, like just right, or or too much or too little? Yeah, and I think it's something that varies so much from like adult stories. You know, adults don't necessarily have to have that takeaway, but children's books often do. Yeah, it's true. And again, it's really funny because if you if you do it too much, people kind of complain about it. But at the same time, I think everybody, you kind of expect, or, or that's what you want to get something generally out of the book, um, and most picture books will have have it. And, and I like it. I think it's nice even if it's really subtle, because again, like in, in an adult book, it's a lot harder, because if you do have a, a message that, that comes across too much, it's so easy for adults to kind of um, to fight it or, or, or not be as into it. But with picture books, you're kind of ready for whatever, and you're a lot more willing to accept different types of themes and, and big, um, um, I don't know, kind of big morals or messages within books. Um, so I, I like how that, that most picture books do have it, but, but it is, uh, yeah, it's a hard balance. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed on your website you, you do your own books like Sir Simon, but you also uh, work with clients like Disney and Marvel. How does the process vary between, you know, doing a book like Sir Simon versus the one that you did about uh, Baby Groot? Um, mostly uh, when the project that I just work as an illustrator on, it's definitely more where I just take on that role. So I'll get a manuscript sent to me and a lot of time it will have art call outs to some degree. Some are more specific than other books. And, and then I'm more working to try to I guess just to bring that manuscript to life and, and hopefully bring maybe a little something more than than what the the author expected or or see what I can add on my on my own. But it's definitely more just on the illustration side and and not so much um, doing too much in terms of creative decisions. Whereas with something like Simon, I'm 
bringing the whole thing to life. So writing the manuscript, deciding how it's going to work with the art and, and try to tell the story of the art and the words together rather than just bringing one half to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I do like that challenge because you're really trying to figure out how to mesh the two, the two methods of storytelling, whereas just being illustrated is also really neat because now you're collaborating and you don't necessarily talk to the author um, during the experience really, but you, it is a form of collaboration because you're kind of taking someone else's story and trying to figure out like, well, how can I, how can I show this the best way I think? And, and how can I really get across what they're trying to say? So it's a, a different kind of neat challenge. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, I, I was talking to uh, Deborah Hodge last year and, and people were interested to learn about that author illustrator relationship in a project. Can you talk a little bit about that, about how you work with an author when you're, when it's not your own story? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's interesting because of, of how it actually works versus how you kind of expected it to work or, Mm -hmm. or I guess assumed before ever doing it. And, uh, and generally it's, it's pretty separated. Um, I think it, it's probably for good reason, but the publisher, they kind of act like a middle person between the author and the illustrator. And so you get the, the author's book, their, their manuscript and everything um, from the publisher to work on. And I think it, it kind of prevents the author being able to kind of um, manage the illustrator too much. So if you're in direct contact, the author could keep on giving suggestions or, or keep giving their own kind of feedback and almost slow the whole process down. Whereas it, it kind of needs to be separated so the illustrator can kind of just do what they, they do and, and, uh, and bring it to life while kind of the publisher can show the author at different times. But if the author has direct contact, it just makes things where they can go a little sideways depending how much the author wants to kind of jump in and be like, hey, I pictured that car would be blue, not red. Hey, I pictured that person would be a bit taller or that building should be like this. And and I think you just you get some people that, that get a little too enthusiastic. Um, and so it's interesting because then as an illustrator, for most of the books I, I've illustrated, I've never really talked to the author except maybe the odd message after the book was done. And, and it's strange because for me, I do like having some communication because I want to make sure I'm doing what they kind of envisioned or make sure I'm, you know, telling, hopefully showing the story the way that, that they're you know, um, the way that they kind of imagined it, but you can, you do work through the publisher so you can message and, and make sure the, the author seen it and, and all that, but it is, yeah, it's a very separated, uh, kind of process. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I was surprised. And I, like I said, I know other people were to hear that you don't really communicate directly with the author. There's the publisher working as the middle, the middle person. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is really interesting. Cause, and I, I get it. Like, in one of those worst case scenarios, it's all, it was what you would hope would happen. But then otherwise, it, it's in some ways, it's, it feels like that missed collaboration where you, you're excited because you finally get to work with somebody else, but then it's all kind of managed and you only get kind of a forwarded email or something. Um, so it is, it's kind of funny that way. Yeah. I was wondering, too, if you could talk a little bit about how you came to illustrating and writing uh, kids' books. I mean, it's one of those things where I've kind of been kind of been trying to do it in in little forms and bits ever since I was a kid, essentially. Uh, growing up, I would kind of get into phases of trying to create all sorts of stuff from doing um, comic strips. And I would send them to, to all the major newspapers as a kid trying to get in the New York Times or the New Yorker. 
And, and I was just super gung-ho about creating and, and getting it out there and, and thinking in my mind I was already kind of an artist or I was already an author. And so I made a couple of kids' books as well when I was probably like 12 or 13. And not that they never went anywhere or I didn't really do anything with them, but I just was so excited. I made them. And, and then in my mind, I had already made kids' books, even though they weren't published. And so it was always something that I, I kind of had in the back of my head and Throughout my career, I worked in um, a lot of different kind of avenues of, of illustration and animation, from video games uh, to magazines to to all sorts of kind of different jobs. and And kids books was always was always something in the back of my mind because I always really loved them. But I think it was almost trying to figure out how do you get into it as an industry because it's not like a, a studio job like working in animation or video games where you kind of go work at a studio. With children's books, it, it's so much more um, like freelance or contract. And it seems almost so much, um, almost more mysterious because at first you're like, I don't know, where do you go? Who do you even talk to? And so it wasn't until much later when I started contacting agencies and trying to figure out what that actual process was like. And so um, for myself, it took a long time of just getting different types of illustration jobs before I could even really get close to um, picture books or kids books, uh, doing lots of educational work. And then slowly I... Um, I was getting kind of better jobs and, and ones that were kind of more aiming to kids' books. But it probably took me working with an agent for, um, I don't know, maybe like six or seven years before I actually uh, um, landed a, a picture book. And, and with my own written one, it took a, a long time as well to, to kind of get that, that foot in the door and get that first actual kind of um, job. What do you do when you are done with a book? Do you find that you get attached to your characters and it's hard to say goodbye to them? Uh, I think it depends. Um, I think mostly it depends on the type of story it, it is. Because for a lot of my stories, I think if they if they did what I was hoping they would do, and if they're kind of self-contained, I'm pretty content with them just living in that one book. And hopefully, you know, it, it gets out there and gets readers and, and does okay for itself. But I, I can't say I really... I don't really long for being able to do more with them if I feel it, it accomplished that. For yeah. some of my books like To the Sea or Where Oliver Fits or, or these stories that to me feel kind of contained that, that I don't necessarily need to have another story, I'm happy letting them go. And, and with other stories like Sir Simon, I'm happy with how that, that book turned out as kind of a singular thing, as just a, a self-contained picture book. But it was also something where I did really love those characters and I could see doing more with them. And I just love their rapport. And it was something where where I wanted to almost, in a way, be able to build up on them more, especially since in the Sir Simon picture book, you don't really get a chance to really get to know Chester, the other character, because it's more of Simon's book. And so then it did become a thing with, with Simon where I was talking to my editor and we ended up pitching together. And, and we have two um, kind of young graphic novels that are going to be coming out with Simon. Oh, great. And so it was awesome and, and it worked out. So then we get a chance now to tell a little bit longer stories with the two characters and kind of build up on them. And it made me really happy because with that property, it felt right, where my fear would always be that it would be a book that I feel is self-contained. But then I, if somebody else wants to tell more stories with it, I, I would find that very hard. If mm -hmm. somebody wanted to tell more stories with uh, To the Sea or, or with Oliver, I, I would find it hard to figure out, well, what are we going to talk about? Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear there's going to be more of Simon and, and Chester because I felt like I wanted more of them and their their friendship was so great at the end. Well, that's good to hear. That makes me happy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just finished the first one, 
where they decide when they're bored one day in the attic and, and Chester finds a, a hat in a box that's kind of like an old Sherlock hat, and then Simon sees it and gets all excited that they become uh, kind of amateur detectives to take on some cases and, and have a little misadventure. But there's going to be, I think, the first one's going to come out next year in February, right now. Um, and then I'm going to be working on another one that might be coming out in the fall of that same year. Oh, great. I also, I mean, maybe it's just the, the writer in me, but I wanted to, I almost want to read Simon's novel. <laughs> <laughs> no, I always, uh, I'm hoping I can keep him writing at, even in some small way in the background of every book. And he's always working on his Dr. Darrington novel that, yeah. that, we, that always gets more weirdly exaggerated as a book. That's kind of my, my hope in, in a weird way that I don't, it's one of those spots where I was like, I don't know if anyone's going to get this or any kid's going to care for Simon's weird novel, but I enjoy it so much that got to put him in there. Uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed, since Simon's kind of a ghost story and I really love classic kind of scary movies, is that I hid over 50 something um, Easter eggs to all my favorite classic scary movies in the book. So anybody who, uh, who does like any of those old 80s kind of movies, they can go on kind of a treasure hunt to try to uh, to find some stuff hidden in there since there's so much detail in the book. But yeah, kind of one of those fun fun little extra things. Well, that's it's interesting that you say that because I noticed as, as you were reading, I was flipping through the copy I have on my desk and I noticed one of those uh, little Easter eggs, I think, near uh, his writing desk. Well, probably. Yeah. I won't um, say what yeah. it is because then people will be looking for it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, there's a uh, there's a good a good solid few. It, it was one of those things where uh, for a lot of the areas I had to kind of fill it with objects or or certain things anyway. And so then I thought it would be kind of a a fun added little depth to kind of put that little nod in there. And and it was so fitting for Simon and and I liked it because even if you don't know any of those references or you don't like scary movies at all, it's not going to hinder the reading experience and none of those things. Um, I think take away or take your attention away from the actual story and that was my main kind of my main plan to make sure they're just kind of hidden yeah I have to ask I just noticed as well as I was looking at it what's with the the potato oh his haunted potato <laughs> yeah I don't know I I wanted to try to think like what would be the most the boringest thing he could haunt and I thought like well I guess like haunting a potato would be pretty lame yeah uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, it was, <laughs> it was a, a fun a fun exercise and yeah. what all the strange things that Simon could have haunted. Yeah. And then in the um on the end papers of the book, I I can't remember if it's the front or the end um end papers, but uh on one of them it it kind of has all the things he's haunted. And so everything he's kind of doing, I think it has him on a boat and a tricycle and different things. But I thought it'd be a fun kind of montage to show him kind of all, yeah. all Simon's previous haunts. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love him because he's, he's very quirky and you can't help but kind of think he's strange and silly and playful and he's just a great character. Oh, thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, he was a, he's a fun character, right? He's that character who can kind of do, he can do wrong, but you kind of root for him because it yeah. seems like one of those characters that gets so wrapped up in his own kind of imagination or what he wants yeah but but uh yeah and it's i hope uh i hope you like the the next stories trying to uh fill them up with a, a whole lot of simon personality 
Thanks so much to Kale for being on Riding the Coast. I uh, can't wait to read those graphic novels about Sir Simon and Chester. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we are on to our last episode of the last set of shortlisted authors and illustrators. So our next episode will be with Harley Rustad, who is the author of The Big Lonely Dog. And after that, it will be all new and all fresh. We have loved our conversations with the past shortlisted authors and illustrators, but you know, we've got to give the new folks a chance too. I'm not quite sure when that shortlist is going to be dropping, but if you are interested in seeing who will be on the list, keep an eye on the BC and Yukon Book Prizes website. This is a good place to keep up to date with all of the news on the prizes, and that website is bcyukonbookprizes.com. And if you aren't already subscribing to this podcast, you can find us pretty much wherever you find your podcasts. So whether that is Apple or Google or any of those other ones, you can find us there. And until we meet again on the podcast airwaves, buy some books, go to your library, and keep an eye out for that new shortlist.